0: Watchers in the fourth dimension.
1: Our battle cry will be total extermination. I know tomorrow our world could be peace. Thank you. That's what I wanted to know.
0: Hello, and welcome back to Watchers in the fourth
1: dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And so, the Thals have come down to recruiting MUTOs, have they? This episode, we've
0: been scooped up by the Time Lords who have given us the mission of discussing Genesis of the Daleks.
1: But before we get into that, Riley's going to take a quick look at the mail. Over to you, Riley. Well, we got some general feedback from Mark Heffernan. He says, great getting to see the whole Watchers crew in person at Dragon Con last weekend. Always great to put a face to the voice. Well, it's been a couple weekends since then, but we did have a great time. Uh, it was nice to meet you. I don't know if I did. I think maybe the others might have met you, but thanks so much. And we hope to do something again next year.
2: I of course, saw Mark. I also saw a few other people. I don't know all of your names, but whoever I saw, thanks so much. Love you guys.
1: And now we'll go into the Pertwee retrospective comments. First off, shout out to Doctor Morbius 79 on Instagram who uploaded the Pertwee Shatner interview to their page that i was begging for thank you so much i especially liked the part where shatner clearly bluffed that he knew of doctor who at all (laughs) that was really really a great bit it was amazing yes thank you again speaking of shatner nathan law says i was disappointed that there was no real justification for the shatner comment first it's not a comment it's a theory second Honestly, I can't see the similarity. Pertwee was well-loved by his co-stars and had a lot of time for fandom, eagerly reappearing at conventions and reprising his role as often as he could. Contrast with Shatner, who was often critical of fans and hated by most of his co-stars. Shatner has only really connected with fandom now that he's gotten very far up in age and realized that his legacy will be defined by Kirk. Tom Baker, who I know you haven't gotten to, is a much better analogy for Shatner on the Who side. Well, I think the comparison I was making is more about how they carry themselves on screen than however they are behind camera.
2: Agreed.
0: Defend yourself, Riley.
1: Oh, I shall. (laughs) I shall. Nathan Laws, again, will say that I know that you mentioned that there is nothing longer than a six-parter in the Pertwee era, but there are the three seven-parters in season seven.
0: My bad. I forgot. (laughs) Sorry. I I will prostrate myself before the fandom gods
1: and apologize for my error. That being said, it's kind of funny that we use episode length to assign quality because we all know it's episode girth. (laughs) (laughs) Because... I'd argue that the Daleks, Master Plan, The Invasion, and The War Games are fantastic stories, despite them being the three longest serials ever. I would like to think that those three may be the few exceptions to the rule, but that might just be me. And now let's talk about Robot. Alan Seiler says, By plopping Tom Baker into what is essentially a John Pertwee story, you get a sense of just how radically the series is going to change in the seasons to come. Like Pertwee, Baker is a force of nature, but different. Tom is much more mercurial and eccentric, often unpredictable, sometimes tempestuous, and always very alien. Baker's charisma immediately jumps off the screen, whether he's picking a new outfit, skipping rope with Harry, or marveling over a pulverized dandelion. There's no settling in period here. Tom fully establishes himself as the Doctor immediately. And that is exactly what I thought. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Adam Wright says, Robot was the first story I watched when trying to get into Classic Who as an adult. I love Tom Baker. As nosy and aggressive as Sarah Jane seems in the story, it reminds me of Lois Lane being a snooping journalist and having Superman, or in our case, the Doctor, get her out of scrapes.
2: And I miss that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Keith Burton says, This is one of the great renewal moments in Doctor Who history. After more than a decade on the air, the role of the Doctor and the role of series producer both moved down a generation. Suddenly, two young men barely out of their 30s are the faces and creative guiding lights of the show the result is arguably one of the show's golden eras with a producer script editor doctor and companion combination that has never been bettered as for the character of the fourth doctor himself my own personal head canon goes like this that doctor is so emotionally broken by losing joe grant to an eccentric young bohemian rebel with mad hair and a long scarf that he consciously chooses to become such a man i dig interesting. that interesting like yeah, that's a good one Yeah. Don Moore says, woohoo. Tom Baker is the doctor. The one I saw first on PBS. KSPS Spokane, Washington. Saturday nights watching a four episode story. Bring on the scarf and jelly babies. My first experience of Who was via PBS, but it was late at night and I was a child and it scared me. Kieran James Evans says, Pertwee story, but Baker turns up and messes about. I do laugh at the doctor doing science at the end. I actively avoid bubbling stuff in my lab. As for the video used for on location shots, it seems strange, but it is definitely smoother and later uses are better looking. For me, this story is 7 out of 10 enemies of humanity. Matt Wilkinson says, Robot has always seemed a little curiosity in the show's history. Very much a carryover story, which keeps much of the Pertwee structure and familiarity, all the while while having Tom Baker and all his eccentricity thrown in and basically left to get on with it. As a story, it does what any intro story should do. It introduces us to the new doctor and gives us a sense at least of what is to come. For me, his following story is when Tom Baker becomes the fourth doctor and properly puts his stamp on the role that will forever define him. Peter Beatnik, he says, although it has some fine moments, this is a weak start to what turns into one of the best seasons of Classic Who. At least Benton gets a well-deserved promotion.
2: Yay! benton
1: <laughs> mark Dunstan says an okay episode for baker he definitely nailed the part from the get-go much better things to come dave sanderson says it's a fond welcome for tom baker as all the trappings of the old era hang around for another few weeks Dix does doctor who don't look that up <laughs> Dix does doctor who paint by numbers but it has enough of a familiar feel to keep the audience happy while they work out the new guy benton gets a promotion Yeah, that was in his comment. He did say, yeah, exclamation mark. And they set up the bumbling companion, Harry. Surely Mm. his brand of old fashioned optimism and confusion will win over hearts and minds. Harry and Sarah work so well together. I think we'll get to that. But to me, I feel like they haven't really been together that much. I just feel like Sarah's been kind of off on her own for most of the season. But we'll get to it.
2: We'll discuss.
1: Ian O'Hagan says, Tom Baker takes some getting used to because of his uniqueness, but for all of his faults, I'm sure Julie will come to love him like the rest of us do. No (laughs) pressure. You will come to love him, Julie.
2: I will not succumb to peer pressure.
1: (laughs) Well, obviously the introduction of Baker has gotten everyone commenting. We look forward to hearing more as we progress through his era. That is the mail. Over to you, Anthony. Thank you, Riley.
0: As a reminder to our listeners, we love hearing all your feedback, comments, thoughts, and questions, and we do try to read out as many of them as possible. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watchers4D or via email at watches 4 d at gmail.com. We would very much love to hear from you, so please do send us a note. Moving on, we will take a look behind the scenes of Genesis of the Daleks. This one has its genesis. Eh? 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 Uh, uh. I'm so sorry. <sighs> I think I'm going to take my
1: exodus then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, this was certainly a revelation. Oh, yeah. This one has its genesis in Terry Nation taking it upon himself to submit an idea for the show's 12th season. He sent that idea to the outgoing producer Barry Letts and outgoing script editor Terence Dix. To everyone's surprise, they believed his submission to be too derivative of his previous works.
1: What? <laughs> Never.
0: Let's suggested that Nation instead address the absence of a televised Dalek origin story. Nation was actually very enthusiastic about this idea and promptly got to work on a new storyline, making a conscious effort to avoid significantly contradicting previous Dalek stories. Incoming script editor Robert Holmes was far less enthusiastic about the idea, disliking returning monsters and preferring to have stories involving new monsters. But Letts' enthusiasm for the idea persuaded him to keep it on the docket. Nation's new storyline, was originally titled Daleks, Genesis of Terror. The six scripts were commissioned at the beginning of April 1974. Nation was acutely aware that Dalek dialogue was often tedious to both write and watch, so he decided to emphasize the new character of Davros, the creator of the Daleks, who was designed to visually be the halfway point between human and Dalek, with a travelling machine that resembled the base of a Dalek, a single electronic eye, an electronically augmented voice, and just one hand, while his speech patterns would be kept a bit more natural. This allowed him to effectively act as the Dalek's mouthpiece. Nation was also keen that Davros should be depicted to survive the events of the serial, as he was eager to avoid his mistake from the first Dalek serial, where his monsters appeared to be killed off at the end. Evidently, he did not get his wish on this one. Or did he? Incoming producer Philip Hinchcliffe also wanted to make some changes to the vibe of the story, wanting it to be more atmospheric and less juvenile than previous Dalek serials. Director David Maloney agreed with this approach, and it was Maloney who scrapped Nation's original version of the scene where the Time Lord meets with the Doctor, which was meant to have taken place in a serene garden. Maloney replaced it with a grisly ambush in No Man's Land, inspired by Ingmar Bergman's 1957 surrealist film The Seventh Seal a change that nation reportedly hated. <laughs> the brutal, aggressive nature of the war between the Thals and the Carleds was also emphasised, being inspired by the 1936 film Things to Come, also heavily re-emphasized the Nazi illusions with the Daleks. It was when Philip Hinchcliffe came in that the serial was renamed to Genesis of the Daleks. We already mentioned that David Maloney was assigned as director to this serial. He may well sound familiar as he had previously directed The Mind Robber, The Crotons and The War Games, all from season six, as well as Season 10's Planet of the Daleks. Joining him on our creative team, we have Dudders with the incidental music, Barbara Kidd once again providing costumes, as she had for the previous two serials, and George Galaccio continuing his run as production unit manager. We have one new face behind the scenes, with David Spode making his one and only contribution to the show as designer. He is also known for his work on the Z-Cars trifecta, being Z Cars and its two spin-offs, <laughs> Softly, Softly and Softly, Softly Task Force, along with Out of the Unknown and The Legend of Robin Hood. When it came to casting, Maloney originally hoped to cast David Bailey as Davros. When he proved to be unavailable, the part went to Michael Wisher, who had just finished work on the next serial, Revenge of the Cybermen. More on that next episode. Wisher threw himself into preparing for the role. Knowing that he would be behind a mask, he wore a paper bag over his head during rehearsals, so that he would have to show <laughs> the character's emotion entirely through speech. In creating Davros's voice, he took inspiration from the mathematician and philosopher Bertrand Russell. Wow. Yeah. Obscure, fine. right?
2: It's fine. <laughs>
0: Filming for the serial started in early January 1975 as the fourth story of the show's twelfth recording block. The shoot started with the location filming. Maloney was keen to avoid the issues that he had experienced with filming Daleks on location in Planet of the Daleks and so ensured that all shots involving the Daleks would be studio bound. A few changes to the serial also occurred during production. By the time they were filming part four, the production team made a deliberate decision to tone down some of the more overt Nazi imagery, most notably Nida stopped wearing his iron cross. In editing, we had the return of an old problem, and it was found that part three was running long, so its cliffhanger had to be changed. In the scripts, the cliffhanger was to be Davros's proclamation that Daleks would be the supreme conquerors of the universe, while in the revised version that made it to TV, this material would be shifted into part four, with part three's cliffhanger now focusing on the electrocution of the Doctor. Unlike Planets of the Spiders, this did not have knock-on effects that ruined future
2: cliffhangers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The final product was broadcast between the 8th of March and the 12th of April, 1975. On its original broadcast, Genesis of the Daleks received significant criticism from Mrs. Mary Whitehouse of the National Viewers and Listeners Association, who described it as tea-time brutality for tots. (laughs) Even Nation himself admitted that while the serial was well-made, he wouldn't let his own children watch it. However, producer Philip Hinchcliffe defended the story, stating that he had gone to great lengths to ensure that any violence depicted in the serial was not something that could be easily copied by children, and that responsibility for deciding the suitability of the show for children should lie with the parents.
2: I totally could have watched this as a child.
0: I did watch this as a child. Alex explains a lot. Something tells me that this might not be the last we hear of Mary W. And on that note, it's time for our short summary, which is with Don this time. Over to you, Don. Genesis of the Daleks
3: is a serial that dares ask the question, what if Terry Nation actually gave a shit? (laughs) (laughs) Sent by the Time Lords to stop or alter the development of the Daleks, the Doctor and crew find themselves on Skaro, with neither a deadly floor or a pair of sex pants in sight. No! There they meet the Kalids, who turn the previous Dalek-Nazi subtext into actual... Text, The occasionally sadistic Thals in the era before they discovered Glam, whose ranks include one actual woman who is both competent and useful, and of course, Bob Ross's brother Dave. Scientist, developer of the Daleks, and mollusk enthusiast. (laughs) After much moralizing and realizing that his show needs the occasional ratings boost the Daleks give, the Doctor opts to merely delay their development for a while, leaving Davros to play dead and me with nothing to make fun of except for a
0: few crappy giant clams. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Thank you, Don. All right, let's talk about this one. Part one.
2: I really liked the opening. It was very dramatic and atmospheric.
0: Yeah. The old trick of a quarry with mist being piped into it works really well.
2: Although I had a lot of questions about that like slow motion dying. Interesting choice.
1: I agree. I do like the opening. It is good. It definitely does what it's supposed to do. It has set the tone that you are going to see a lot of brutality in this serial. Yep.
2: I should have started a count of how many people died. Didn't think that one through.
1: It was getting up there to like RoboCop ranges when it comes to like body count. It was really getting up there. Yeah, it definitely was. Let's talk about the Time Lord. (sighs) You you mean the the court jester? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the court jester
2: what in the world was that outfit
0: interesting costume also suddenly these non interventionists have decided it's time to intervene and stop the daleks from ever being created plausible deniability yes
2: and it's on their terms not the doctor's terms and they're again a bunch of dicks
0: bunch of hypocrites Incidentally, Russell T. Davies has gone on record as saying that this was the first shot of the Time War. (laughs) Nice little bit of retcon there.
1: And that is one thing that's so clear about this serial. Whatever you want to say about its strengths and its weaknesses, it is so important to lore. Goodness gracious.
0: Oh, yeah, it really is. It's
2: one of those stories that explains a lot.
0: Yep. (laughs) Of course, no one at the time knew it would be. It just was. Let's talk about the setting. I think the concept of a war that's been going on for so long that they're resorting to more primitive technology just because they can't keep up is really interesting. There's this real mismatch of tech. One of the laser guns that the Doctor picks up is actually a reuse of the prop from the Dravin guns from Galaxy 4, (laughs)
1: which
0: I thought was neat. Still had those lying around, huh? (laughs) Yep. Still kept in BBC storage.
2: Well, I think what's also very telling about it is that how old technology continues to work, whereas new technology seems to break down faster. Yeah. Sounds like refrigerators
0: nowadays. (laughs) Less to go wrong in the old stuff.
2: Something to be said about that.
0: I just think this whole first episode with the trenches, with the minefield, with the gas attack, it's brutal.
2: I really like this first episode. I think it loses a lot once it gets into the plot. I think they could have condensed a lot of things down. Probably about the first 15 minutes of the setup is really well done.
1: I especially liked the studio shots of the trenches compared to just the quarry. I really love that added touch. Usually you're supposed to show, not say. So I'm saying works instead of showing. And that is when he mentioned how the use of the corpses were there to make the trenches look manned was really, I think, a great touch and really just gives you an idea of exactly how bad this has gotten. It very much sets a tone. Then we eventually go inside, into the bunker.
0: The Doctor and Harry do, and the audience do, but Harry sadly (sighs) gets left behind. Somehow they missed her in her giant yellow slicker.
2: I'm so upset by what has happened to Sarah Jane. And I'm so mad. And it makes me so sad because she really has become a damsel in distress and she's not off kicking butt. Yes, she leads a sort of mini rebellion, but it doesn't last very long and she's terrified during the whole thing. I'm not a fan.
1: It definitely has the feeling that Harry is getting in her way for the character. It really does. Because I was thinking... Looking back at the past few serials, the Doctor spends more time with Harry than he does with her. Most of the time he's with her, it's some sort of rescue attempt or coaching her going through a duct. But with Harry, he actually has moments to like just chill and show some character, and Harry's getting in the way. That's what I say. You get the feeling
3: that the new showrunners didn't really know what to do with her as a character.
0: Yeah, 100%. It's amazing they keep her around for basically another two seasons while still not really knowing what to do with her.
2: And yet the previous ones were the ones who said that they didn't know how to write for women. I find that no, very... No?
0: That's these guys.
2: Oh, that was these. Uh, okay, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> Apologies. Okay, that makes sense. Swap that. <laughs> I gotta say, I've really enjoyed some of the music in the serial. I'm going to speak about one that happens way back in part six, but there's also some great either low bass clarinet or contrabassoon or some just low reed instrument that's going on, and I love it.
1: Is it fair to say that Dutters has gotten him out of his cat Casio keyboard slump that he was in? I think so.
2: I don't necessarily want to put a blanket statement, but if that's the case, then I'm ecstatic.
0: I want to talk about what we see in the Carled Bunker because we very quickly meet the general who is a extremely young he looks like he's was basically part of the davros youth and then <laughs> oh, no. promoted to general as soon as he shows up he just looks like a sadist like he's just got that look about him and as soon as he says i enjoy interrogations and the doctor says yes you look like the type i'm like yes he really does
1: <laughs> the line delivery there is so perfect that was i think ravon was that him yeah yes yeah he looks like a little shit.
2: We also get introduced to Nider.
1: Ugh, even worse.
2: For the life of me, I cannot place who he reminds me of. A part of me is like, hmm? He might remind me of Slugworth from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, maybe? Yeah.
3: Does he remind you of a scientist from Invasion of the Dinosaurs, perhaps?
2: Oh my god, yes, there it is. Same actor. Same actor. Yep, yep, yep. Still reminds me of the guy from Willy Wonka. But man, Nider, I really want to know what Nider's deal is, because the entire time he is loyal, and yet I cannot place why he is.
1: That's a very good question. I was thinking the same thing towards the end. I was wondering, okay, what is his motivation what is he he is definitely a person who is out for himself or at least his ideal but that seemed to go out the window when all of his people got killed when the
3: dome was destroyed he's gone too far down the path of following davros and so he has nothing else also they kind of set it up as the inversion of the loyal character that then eventually betrays his master, by having him just stay loyal right to the very end, even though they give you a fake out where it looks like he's betraying him.
0: Yeah, they go into this a little in some of the expanded media. I think Big Finish in the I, Davros series basically had Davros as being responsible for Nider's ascent through the ranks, which has made him intensely loyal to Davros. Something like that.
1: I don't know why, but I find his character more despicable than Davros. At least with Davros, I think he legitimately is... Insane. Nider, on the other hand, his motivations are questionable, other than I guess extreme loyalty. Going back to Ravon
3: for a minute and to lighten the mood of the serial,
1: <laughs>
3: he actually played a character that was inspired by Davros called Dr. Mittenhand in Leprechaun 4 in space. <laughs> Still that out there.
1: Yes. Amazing.
2: Okay, I'm not going to ask any more questions.
1: I do like his comeuppance, though, with the quick little smack and the removal of the gun. That was enjoyable to see him get embarrassed like that. Another thing I wanted to bring up was Sarah
0: stumbling through the mists. I thought that was really well done. I obviously know it predates it by about 20 years, but it felt very Silent Hill to me.
3: Yeah, they did a lot of really atmospheric stuff here. Even if most of it was shot in the studio, it looks really good.
0: Yeah, Maloney was... Was directing his heart out with this one.
1: Well, I mean, I think he does good jobs on that, but sometimes his in-studio work seemed really, really off.
0: One thing I think is fascinating with Nida is how intuitive he is. He realizes when he comes across the Doctor, Harry, and Ravon in the corridor that something is wrong. So as he's walking away, he sees through the bluff and has his men shoot, which leaves our heroes running up and down some corridors. He's also the one that recognizes the Doctor and Harry and not. Although he doesn't believe they're from another planet because Davros says there is no intelligent life on other planets and Davros is never wrong. It's like he's got this
1: intelligence about him, but he can't quite question Davros.
2: Speaking of Davros.
1: Yes. The design of Davros. I think that it's wonderfully unsettling. I must have missed something because is there any sort of backstory as to how he is in that condition? I don't remember hearing that. And then lastly, there has to be some sort of allusion to Dr. Strangelove here, right? Or am I just being mean to people in wheelchairs? I think you're
3: being mean to people in wheelchairs. And that's the origin. That's... Way going into expanded media. Yeah.
2: I had the same question because they keep on talking about having to keep the Khaled race pure. And then you just look at Davros and you're like, (laughs) I gotta say, he's (laughs) probably not.
0: (laughs) He's still definitely a Khaled, but yeah, the expanded media goes into it. He was basically injured in a bombing raid.
2: Okay. But yes, we finally get to actually see Daleks and we see Davros.
0: Yes. Yay. Sarah sees Davros testing the Dalek, and he says, now we can begin. And that's our cliffhanger into part two, which has absolutely no reprise whatsoever from the cliffhanger from part one, Ah. which is a change. There's an appropriate length recap. Yeah, (laughs) none.
2: When you're watching it back to back, obviously. It was at this point where I noticed, I was like, hey, you know what? There wasn't a jungle. (laughs) I just (laughs) was anticipating there being a jungle because it was Terry Nation.
3: There was no jungle.
0: There was no mining. There was no (laughs) slaves mining. This is a new. Terry Nation, guys. (laughs) 2.0. Oh, boy. Interrogation scene, I love the doctor asking for a cup of tea. It's just so very dry, very British in its humor, and it just works so well, making light of what is fundamentally a very, very grim situation.
2: I mean, it's also just a very British thing to do. Something goes wrong, you have a cup of tea. Something goes right, you have a cup of tea. I'm having one now. Of course (laughs) you
0: are. Not really.
2: It was also at this point, oh, hey, look, Nazi Parallels. Isn't that obvious?
0: Yes. <laughs> if it hadn't been obvious from Nida showing up and looking exactly like one of Hitler's main henchmen, Joseph Goebbels, can we talk about Sarah? <sighs> yes. She gets a rough time of it, this story. And this episode is... She always gets a rough time of it. This entire season has been terrible. She's attacked by mutos. They
1: creep on her a bit. One of them stroking her face. <sighs> if they get back to Earth, I could totally understand the character saying, screw that. I'm not ever going into the TARDIS again. This is insane. This is horrible adventures.
2: And I also got to say that she probably misses the third doctor.
1: At this point, yes, probably. According
3: to the expanded media, she writes a book about this adventure. It becomes a bestseller. She does okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> On top of that, she gets captured by the Carleds, who are going to use her for effectively slave labour that exposes her to... Radiation? Thals. She gets caught by the Thals. She gets captured by the Thals. You're quite right, Don. This is what happens when I skim-read my notes. It's all that tea. Yeah, all that tea. But yeah, it exposes her to dystronic toxemia, which is... Oh, that just sounds nasty. I don't know what entirely <laughs> it what it is, but it sounds awful.
2: And this whole time, she kind of seems to wimp out a bit. Yes, again, I know that at the end of this episode, she leads kind of like a little mini rebellion and she gets them to climb up that thing, but she just seems terrified the entire time and I hate it.
0: Yeah, it's very, very different from that woman who first saw Lynx in The Time Warrior.
1: It does seem to improve a bit in the back half of this serial, but I absolutely agree with you in the front half. it's You feel like we're going down this path once again.
0: The other thing I wanted to talk about was when the Doctor first sees a Dalek. He's in the bunker with Ronson, who seems delightful. And Davros brings in his Mark III travel machine, which the Doctor says is a very primitive Dalek. When what we see is
2: the same Dalek that we've seen for the past, like, however many years. Yes. Yeah, just without a gun.
0: <laughs> I really wish the production team had done more to make it look like a primitive prototype type Dalek.
1: Or just, like you said, the travel machine, just like be like a little person, like on a Segway or something with like Dalek bulbs or something yeah but now it's th- the only thing that this dalek was missing from being a fully created dalek is it was just missing the whisk yes the gun yes
2: the serial also had the problem of i kept getting introduced to characters that i then tried to like rally behind and then they died there wasn't a good character that like ran the length of everything i think there might have been one i think it was one of the mutos but other than that it was very difficult
0: I think that was the point. Yeah, I agree with Don. It's just meant to be brutal and shows that in this kind of thing, war does not pick and choose who it kills off.
2: I still
3: don't like it. I I mean, I found this very emotionally affecting, but I think part of the point was very few of these people are going to survive or even do. And that war has already made monsters out of all of them before the actual Daleks even show up.
0: And it's so interesting to see how far each of these people is willing to let things go. Even Davros has his point at the very end where he's like, okay, I'm done. Most of these people have done terrible, terrible things. And then each of them seems to hit their limits at some point. Ronson is getting there in this episode. He talks about how he's part of a cadre of scientists who doubt what Davros is doing and we get a little bit of an info drop on the mutations and the experiments Davros has been doing. One by one, they all seem to hit that point where they go, ooh, this is going a bit far.
3: Yeah, he's not helping them to survive. He's replacing them. <laughs> Which is too bad. I was really hoping for him giving a PowerPoint presentation on how the <laughs> Mark III travel machine was going to work, and then he gets to the point where said, oh, and by the way, I know it's small, but you'll all be mutated into little squid things.
1: <laughs> I will be taking no
3: further questions. and <laughs> moving on
1: from that, I was hoping for like kind of an apple presentation of the mark three <laughs> travel machine davros yeah. he needs to just fit in that black turtleneck sweater it would really work for him so we learn about his failed mutations that he flushed down the toilet like those pet alligators. Yeah. We also have Sarah climbing up the rocket.
0: Yeah, the scaffolding. Yes. I think that's really well done. It's done with such urgency and it's so full of tension. And
1: a lot of violence, just to go back to what we're talking about. A lot of people die and die in horrible ways. And, and then we have are unfortunately directed freeze frame at the very end, which uh, just let it drop. Just let her drop out the frame and then cut.
0: Before we get into that, one of the Carleds who is part of the labor force is the one who initially captures the Doctor and Harry right at the beginning before they're handed over to the General. He's obviously been captured by the Thals and been pressed into service and he's the one that dies trying to help Sarah up the scaffolding.
1: Congratulations Khaled, played yourself.
0: <laughs> I just thought that was neat. It kind of shows how small
1: this world is. All right, part three, guys. When the guards get up there to where Sarah is, I had to rewind it at least two times. It wasn't a mistake. He intentionally knocks her feet out, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 He's completely being an asshole. Okay. Yeah,
3: it's really sadistic.
1: I don't know. I thought they would have leaned into it more because after he does that, he just seems to have kind of a distanced conversation with her as she's dangling while he's holding her. I thought he'd do something really despicable, like, tell me what it feels like to have this much fear or something like that.
2: I think they played that part very well, where it was just like, he just doesn't care. He's just like, "Eh, I don't know. I don't care what happens to you. Like, you want to fall? You can fall. I thought that was really realistically, because he's just like, he'll just find someone else to be the laborer.
3: Yeah, and aside from the way that the, and I use this term loosely, jump to the top of the rocket was handled, I think in this (laughs) instance, Sarah Jane had every right to be scared. Oh, yeah, Climbing on that thing
0: would have been terrifying anyway, but you've also got people shooting at you. You've got to go against your fear, or you will die. It's like, you might die if you keep going, or you will die if you don't. That's gonna incite a panic response in just about anybody. Yes.
2: It was also at this point where I decided that everyone on the planet is terrible.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And then at this time, we have the Doctor and Harry are within the, uh, I guess, the, the menagerie uh, of Davros, which really, as Don made statement earlier, is just a bunch of clams. Yes, they're kind of terrible as props,
0: but Maloney shoots it with total seriousness as if they are actually a credible threat. Yes.
2: Well, it's because Harry is an idiot.
0: Also true.
3: <laughs> it's not the way it's directed. It is the actual prop itself. Yeah,
0: Yeah. where 100% is. I just, I love how David Maloney is clearly like, this looks a bit shit, but I'm just going to do what I can with this.
3: I feel like the designer just saw Terry Nation's name on the script and said, oh, whatever. And just (laughs) do out a clam.
2: Well, you also have to give Harry a lot of props too, because to pretend to be scared of a giant clam, like... Good job, man.
1: Ian Martyr definitely sells it. And how can that clam do that? Did that clam not know that Harry was a naval officer? I mean, come on.
3: (laughs) They cut the scene, but he actually called the clam old girl, so he provoked it.
2: Oh, God.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Julie, are you offended on behalf of the clam?
2: I'm offended by everyone. uh, (laughs) Harry, Harry, buddy, you need some courses to take. I can provide those for you. Just stop.
1: Speaking of questionable direction, you mentioned, obviously, well, that was just him doing his best with a bunch of clams. But then we have a scene in part three where I started questioning what is going on here? It's where Davros is being informed about them contacting the college leaders outside of him, going, I guess, around him. And it just holds on his hand. At the beginning of this dialogue scene, his hand is doing nothing. Just in that creepy, like, kind of dropping claw-like position. And it holds on that forever. And then it slowly pans up. I'm like, what are we doing? I don't know what's going on.
2: And Riley focusing on the focusing of the hand is just, oh my gosh, can you believe it?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with you, Riley. I thought everything was shot quite well and built atmosphere and effectiveness.
2: Sorry, I love you, Riley.
1: I'll let the listeners make their own decision, but I thought it was just bizarre. One question I
0: had during all of this, the doctor makes it to the Carled Dome and talks to the leaders, and he basically says, I have future knowledge. What reason do they have to believe him?
2: Because he's a nutter wearing a scarf that like, obviously <laughs> doesn't belong there.
0: Honestly, it's the one thing that I find the hardest to buy in all of this is that they just believed him. That didn't sit right with me.
3: Well, he's not a Thal, obviously. Yeah.
0: Clearly not a Khaled. And he's not a Muto. Yeah, that's fair. But everyone seems to think he's a Muto because he's not a Thal and not a Khaled. (laughs) I guess after a thousand years of war, you're just like, okay, whatever. Yeah.
2: Can this one person pull us out of this nonsense that we're in? They're a little desperate at this point. I think one of my favorite lines that he had was the, can you help me? I'm a spy. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, yes. That was very good.
2: Glorious. What I've come to find for myself is I'm not a huge fan of these stories per se. I don't like how they've treated Sarah Jane. I think Carrie is super annoying. But Tom Baker pulls it off and he is very quirky. I just have issues with the stories themselves. <laughs> Nothing against Tom Baker.
0: We'll see if that keeps going. Neither. He is Everywhere he's always creeping around in the background. He's listening into every conversation, and I love it. He might be my favorite character in the entirety of this, just because he's seemingly omnipresent and knows everything that's going on.
2: So I'm guessing that he doesn't have like an actual job. That he, he he has no superior. He has no one overlooking what he does, other than I guess Davros, and Davros doesn't really care what he does because like no one's questioning like why aren't you doing your job
0: his job is to know everything that's going on he's basically the commander of security
2: i still feel like you have more strict things than just being a creeper i don't know
0: (laughs) go with what you're good at
2: (laughs) i suppose
0: he's davros's
1: peon basically his job is to keep Davros safe from conspiracy. Speaking of conspiracy, this is where they conspire to betray college ha,
2: ha ha
1: ha Yes. This is where you realize just how crazy Davros is. Because the motivation, just like with Nider, the motivation is gone. It's like this is no longer being done for the survival of the Khaled race. This is, I guess, to only help promote the Dalek race.
3: Yeah, which Davros thinks includes him for some reason.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. I did really enjoy the scene where they go to the Thal city and basically inform them how to destroy the dome, betray them and all that stuff. They leave the room and they do that wonderful trip where immediately when they leave the room, Nider says, do they think they believe you? And about 20 seconds after he says that, the door opens, they all walk out. And I was really hoping they were saying, yeah, we just heard everything you just said.
2: (laughs) That's too easy.
0: Then we have the doctor sending Harry and Sarah back to the Carled Dome, which is about to be destroyed so that he can try and sabotage the rocket.
2: An electric fence!
0: Yeah, that cliffhanger is super weak. There's very little tension in the build-up, and suddenly that makes sense when you know the history behind it and know that it wasn't the originally intended cliffhanger. But it's a weak cliffhanger, in my opinion.
2: It's still better than some of the other uh, floor.
0: You leave my floor alone! Anyway, part four, which we're now in, kicks off with the doctor waking up to watch the assault on the Carled Dome, thinking that Harry and Sarah are in there. That's just brutal. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And he plays it up really well. He looks like he's not doing so hot.
1: And of course, Davros blames Ronson.
2: Of course, because we have to kill off the one good scientist.
1: Total manipulator. Let me go ahead and add that James Garbett, who plays Ronson, I would like to nominate him for Best Supporting Actor. For the season.
3: I mean, I think it's obvious
0: who we need to nominate for this, unless he's considered a main character. Are we going with Peter Miles as Nida? Yeah! Yeah, yeah. I'm 100% nominating Peter Miles, because he's just fantastic. Also a very accomplished jazz musician, and apparently a very nice guy. Aw. Very cool.
2: This is something that I noticed, which is completely weird off topic and means absolutely nothing. But I was looking at the back of Davros's chair. And for some reason, to me, it looked like he was just constantly flipping everyone off because it looks like a middle finger.
3: (laughs) Very on brand for Davros. Brilliant.
1: (laughs) I was imagining when I was thinking about Davros and there was a scene in the sixth episode where he enters the room where everyone's gathered around to vote him off the island, so to speak. And he enters the room and he scoots across. And I couldn't help but imagine, like, if you could see a cross section of what it looked like from his lower half and his Dalek mobile. Just imagine, like, these two little legs, like, kicking quickly like a duckling underwater, like, to get across the room.
3: Julie will be excited to note that he was actually wearing a kilt under there. Yes. Yes.
2: Will I be actually delighted <laughs> about that? Uh not whatsoever. Anyway,
0: <laughs> back in the time, we get our only woman with a speaking part, Harriet Philpin as Betton. I think that's the only other woman, period.
2: Okay. So I was looking at this. I actually got some numbers, guys. I took about five minutes, so the numbers are not exact. So someone, if you're going to correct me, understand that these are roughly the numbers that I found. According to IMDb, there are roughly 23 men and two women that are of the main-ish cast. Like they have like speaking lines or something. Of one of these, it's Elizabeth Sladen. And then we have another one. There are also 22 extras. And all of them are men. So if we look at all of that, that is 45 men to two women. And that's all I'll say about that. You're wanting to rename
0: this Sausage Fest of the Daleks. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, plus one to the Philip Hinchcliffe women count.
2: I wanted to put some context around that count and why it's important.
0: But in the context of the story, she tells the Doctor that Davros is a hero. And then the Doctor's left telling her why Davros betrayed his own people and why that's really bad for everyone. Good God, why is no one suspicious of this thing's motives?
1: And he does get my personal favorite scene of the entire serial leading up into what we learn will be the reason why what has just happened is so terrible is we see Garmin davros comes over him to give him further instructions about the dalek assembly and construction what have you and garmin's concern he raises it and says it'll mean creatures without conscience no sense of right or wrong no pity they'll be without feeling or emotion and davros the way he acts after that is basically like yep you got it my man ciao (laughs) Peace. (laughs) just like how much that is like such a wonderfully dramatically given line to be blown off like that is so wonderful and hilarious but i do like how you see that kind of doom celebration of the thalls i really like that that's a really good twist
0: Yeah, when you see the Daleks coming in and just exterminating whole groups of them, that's also the scariest the Daleks have been in a long time.
1: Like, a really long time.
3: There's no Gary Floor. There's no stupid Dalek. (laughs) There's
1: no Dizzy Dizzy Daleks anymore. No, they're there for business. It's
0: possibly the scariest they've been since Power of the Daleks, in my opinion. I would agree with that.
1: You also
2: get Garmin and Nider having a conversation, and you just sit there like, ugh, you I know what Nider's going to do.
0: Nider absolutely plays Garmin. 100%. That moment... Thank you. That's what I wanted to know.
1: And I love that his voice changes at that. It's like, I cannot do anything evil unless I speak very nasally. Yeah. It was really just
3: to let him know he'd been played. Yes.
0: And
1: then Davros plans to lobotomize Garmin.
0: That's just nasty as well. It's been a long time since we've had villains this nasty. And I kind of love it.
1: Yeah, well, it's good. And then we can't end this episode without talking more about going through the menagerie again and Harry almost getting his foot <sighs> stuck in a clam again. Almost doing it again. But is anyone with me, was anyone else rooting for him to do it again? I would really love to have seen that. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And then maybe like a scared animal, he gets up really quick and runs around on one leg and then steps into another (laughs) one and the other leg. And he's just like kind of just going crazy.
2: It's so funny. People are like, oh, hey, Julie's probably going to like Harry. I'm like, no, he is an (laughs) idiot. And he is like has the casual misogynistic tendencies that I just don't like anyway.
1: It's the double breasted suit jacket for me. Hey, I love
0: double breasted suits. <laughs> anyway, getting back into the dome, Davros and Nida are just waiting for them to drop down that ventilator shaft.
2: Yeah. Because they're super noisy.
0: I've always wondered why that's never become a thing before. You almost saw it in the Ark in space with the Wirin kind of hearing Sarah in the duct, but she manages to just slink by. But yeah, about time. We end with Davros wanting to know about every single mistake the Daleks ever make that results in their defeat and threatening to torture Sarah and Harry unless the Doctor tells them. And that's our cliffhanger.
2: All right, part five. Question. The Doctor could have lied his ass off, and he would never know that he lied. And that seems like a doctor thing to do. The doctor can make up stories like no one else. So I'm like, why didn't he just lie the entire time?
3: I thought in this case, Davros had a way of actually telling if he was lying.
1: Like a lie detector kind of thing or something? Yeah,
3: Yeah. basically. I mean, usually the doctor is good about avoiding those. But what I got from context was that Davros would be able to tell. Yeah. Same.
2: I don't think they did a good enough job of letting us know that as an audience.
1: Also in that scene, I was wondering what would have been so harmful necessarily about him telling the truth. So tell me the reason for each Dalek defeat. Okay, first one, stairs. Second one, dizzy Daleks. Third one, just being plain stupid. What else do you want me to tell you? How are you going to fix that?
2: Well, stairs, you could actually, you know, it's like, okay, so they need to be able to fly or levitate or something. Don't say that you can't come up with something for each one of those, Riley.
1: I know. It just seems that those things that defeated them are so basic (laughs) that needing magnetism through the floor. That's another one. Come on, Davros. I think that was a
3: different variety of Dalek. That was just situational. Mm. They had lost any other way of moving around, and so they invented that. Because you'll notice how quickly they retcon that.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. Despite that, once he's done, Davros wants to talk to the doctor, scientist to scientist. And to me, that leads to one of the greatest scenes we've had with the Fourth Doctor so far, which is the whole, if you invented this virus, piece Mm -hmm. of dialogue, which is just so well done.
2: And this is when we find out that Davros is truly crazy. Yes. Yes.
1: Yes, I would do it. That power would set me up upon the gods. See, and what I don't understand about that, to be considered up among the gods, I guess he doesn't really care about other people's view of himself For most people to feel like they're a god, they would want godlike admiration from other people. But if you create a virus that kills literally everything, the only person who could recognize that you have that power is you. Do you really think Davros cares what other people think? That's what I'm saying. That's what's so strange. Like, why would he? I don't know. It's just like so he just wants himself to feel like a god to himself. He does not need to get any sort of sense of that from anywhere else. Okay.
3: He doesn't need validation from anybody else.
0: It reminds me of my boy, Professor Zaroff. (laughs) When asked, why do you want to destroy the world? He basically responds with, because I can. And that's fundamentally what Davros is saying here. I would do this because I can. Just that is power, being able to do something just because you can.
3: In his twisted mind, if someone doesn't survive, it's because they were weak and weren't supposed to. Yeah,
0: Hmm. exactly. Which is ironic because without scientific and medical intervention, he wouldn't have survived. Exactly.
2: But we also get to this point where apparently one of those buttons controls all the life support. And that just seems like a very poor design. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Don't fall asleep on that button, Davros. Don't do it, buddy.
0: Yeah, but it does lead to the Doctor basically forcing him to give the order to destroy the Daleks. He sounds genuinely upset as he's giving the order. And of course, Nida shows up and cautions the Doctor just before Davros can issue the order that the order can't be countermanded. And then it's countermanded. Convenient.
2: What I like, though, is that he gets that one thing in about the Daleks getting back to the bunker, which sets up part six. And I was like, wow, they actually thought ahead and put a placeholder <laughs> here for what's happening in the next part. Oh, man.
0: Terry was really trying here. I think he took the (laughs) this is too formulaic thing personally and actually put in some effort rather than phoning it in. (laughs) He
3: wrote a new story instead of just crossing (laughs) out names and locations.
0: Yeah, I kind of think it's pretty interesting the way the second half of this episode really works out in that we have all this plotting against Davros. Everyone's starting to move against him. And Nida just wants to wipe him out. And Davros says, no, we're going to do this my way. By the way, to which Nida responds with, as you wish, which I took in the uh, Princess Bride oh, yes. meaning. <laughs> yes. oh, yeah. that.
2: We also had earlier where someone said, you will know the true meaning of pain, but for some reason I thought of you have elected the way of pain. So like I made that a Lord of the Rings reference on accident. Nice. Anyway, continue. Sorry.
0: There's this really cool cat and mouse game between Davros and everyone else, the dissidents. The doctor saying, you guys don't understand. Davros is ready for you. Again, one of the few good people in this is Garmin. We had the scientist, now we've got the military leader. He wants his bloodless revolution. Everyone's defecting to him he
1: genuinely thinks he's going to win bloodless revolution against hardcore fascists not a no. great idea it's like that Woody Allen quote from Manhattan where someone talked about an op-ed in the New York Times against Nazis marching the streets and he said you know physical force is always better with Nazis it's hard to satirize a guy with shiny boots and that's that's how I feel about this like come on man you know the Davros and the Daleks are not going to play fair they're going to be as depraved as possible if you're not willing to get dirty with them to end this you're not gonna win
0: what's interesting is when davros is addressing the scientific elite when they're telling him we want to stop work davros even as a prisoner is basically giving the orders yes Mm-hmm. and he controls that room he's fascinating to watch as a character because of that it's really really well done and all the while, just delaying and delaying. Oh, yeah. Trying to buy the time. The other thing we've got to talk about in this episode is the maturation chamber or the embryo room, or whatever it's called. Oh! <laughs> I think that's really well shot. We don't see much of it. The first time we see it, we've got the little viewport with the Doctor and Sarah and Harry looking through it. When we actually see some of it, it's just little close-ups, not too much. Bubbling test tubes, some matter flowing over a tank. They do a lot with very little here, and I think that's just brilliant.
1: You never thought that you were actually going to go inside, because as you said earlier, it was shown with just the little like sliding, little peephole kind of viewing area. Like You see the reactions of people looking into it without actually going in you think well we'll just keep it at that but they showed it well not all of it because it's still very limited what we do see yes and of
0: course that leads us into our cliffhanger where the doctor is attacked by a dalek mutant which wraps itself around his neck and that could have looked like shit but it was once again filmed and acted with conviction (laughs) Selling the bubble
2: it also would have been better in black and white
0: it probably would have yeah (laughs) cliffhanger and part six let's go I loved how when the doctor is calling for one of his companions, he still calls out for Sarah and not for Harry, even though Harry has been around far more over the last few stories.
2: Probably because he knows that Harry's going to screw it up somehow.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Sarah is still number one. That's what I'm saying here. <gasps> yeah so i mean the doctor calls out he's set up the explosives in the source of the red lobster english shrimp fest this is it right this is like one of the big famous moments of the entire classic who are all of who it's the if that child speech right this is it yeah yeah, yeah if yeah, it's the the yes the Hitler is a child yeah this is a thought exercise we have all probably discussed in our lives it was well delivered and very well acted by tom baker Speaking from personal experience, when I hear that question, I always say, yep, one in the chest and two in the head. (laughs) Every single time. It's interesting to see the doctor's issue with that because Sarah seems to be like, just go ahead, do it, do it, do it, do it. I would have liked that to have taken some more time. I would have liked more of an examination of them discussing that. Perhaps her being, showing, wanting to do it and then the doctor saying, I can't. I know you're decided. I don't want you to have the weight of that on you if you do it. I just feel like they could have been fleshed out more.
2: And Harry didn't really contribute at all.
1: Because he had a clam on his head, but that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think in general, Sarah has shown herself
0: to be a bit more decisive. In the, If you think back to Robot, she was ready to shoot Miss Winters. <laughs> yeah. She was yeah. just ready yeah. to go. She's been treated so badly and she's done with this shit.
2: I would be too. I'd be like, yeah, I'm... if we don't do this right now, then it's just like, let's get it over with, Doctor. I want to go home.
0: <laughs> I'm ready for blood here. Pissed off at
1: these assholes. Doesn't do it, but that gets resolved a little bit later. And we have Davros with his, I ask for only one one thing. I ask for all of you scientists to line up exactly back to back in one line. (sighs) Let me get behind this cannon, and then I will give you my answer. He's just
0: Delaying constantly. I do love how he has a big red total destruct
1: button. Candy-like red button.
0: That kind of thing's even joked about in New Who, where in David Tennant's very first episode, (laughs) a big red threatening button.
1: So wonderful.
2: And then there's the, you've lost your right to survive. Well, F you, Davros. No. Ugh. Worst.
1: Let's also not forget his half-hearted attempt of actually making a speech to get people to his side. It definitely was the Davros, let's make Scarrow great again speech. (laughs) (laughs) And it was fantastic. And he got two people. He got two. Remember
3: when I built that thing for your heart so you can still live?
1: (laughs) Why
0: would you turn your back on me now? Die! Will you turn that heart against me? (laughs) Wow
2: as he's delaying and the Daleks are coming into the bunker, that theme that Dutters puts out is so good compared to the West Dalek theme that we have.
0: Well, that was not hard. <laughs> yeah. I thought, Don, you were about to launch into a robust defense of that Dalek theme. <laughs> okay, look, I like the floor. I cannot defend in good conscience the death to the Daleks Daleks theme. <laughs> Fair. All right, we'll give you the floor in that case. <laughs>
2: Anyway, but yes, I really love the music right there when they're coming down the corridor. It's so good.
0: They seem very threatening at every point in time. Following behind the Daleks, we've got the Thals, led by Beton. so the one woman is at least given a leadership role. And she is ready to blow the shit out of that <laughs> Carled bunker. <laughs> yes. At least they made her a leader and they made her kind of badass.
1: Right. And we haven't even talked about Severn either. He's there and he's going to go in there and try to fish out the Doctor and Sarah and Harry and save them as the Doctor, Harry and Sarah are trying to get that tape that has those crucial instructions about how to teach them how to build ramps to avoid stairs so they will not be defeated. (laughs) And they've already got back the sonic screwdriver and the time ring that's an important note but they lose it in their little scuffle in the hallway but i did really enjoy the scene in the in Daverso's office which when they said there was a office i was so excited I'm like i really want to see his office and it was actually a good <laughs> little deduction scene of like you obviously know the combination of the safe he can't get out of the chair he only has one good hand he needs someone to be able to get in there it's really good and second of all i'm not making a joke here i honestly did not notice until that moment that sarah jane was wearing camouflage pants <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She got
3: a change of clothes earlier and she looked really excited
1: at the pants. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good look. I like those camouflage pants.
2: I used to have a pair of camo pants.
1: I think I still do. Bring them back. <laughs> and of course Niger escapes
0: and traps oh, yes. them in Davros's office. When Davros is talking to the scientists, when we flash back to them, I found another princess bride <laughs> parallel. Of did. Davros says, You've won nothing. I thought he sounded like Vicini at that point. <laughs> when Passini's going up against the Dread Pirate Roberts.
2: But then... Davros, as another delay tactic, talks to, I forget which guy it is, and he was like, I saved your life one time. Oh, please. Again,
0: once the Daleks enter, Davros gets called insane, the Daleks kill everyone, and it's an absolute massacre, and it's just brutal.
1: That's where I could see people back then getting upset, because it's not just killing people, but it's just how they're all laid on top of each other as well. It just really just seems like mass executions. What got me... About that scene wasn't necessarily
3: all of the death. It was after all they've been told, several of them walked back over to Davros's side. Mm-hmm. That was what got me. It's like, we'll just stay with the status quo because we understand it. That, that's scarier than anything else.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because throughout the serial, there's this sense, and they always refer to it like, oh, we've got so many people on our side. There's so many people on our side we are totally going to be able to do this revolution. Like, it's up to 60%. It's 80% or whatever they say. And yet, it does not work. I'm kind of wondering if... I don't know if I want to, like, give him too much credit, but maybe this is what Terry Nations is making a little comment here in that how it's really hard for people, no matter how many people unify, how hard it is for them to stop evil when it is placed in such a position of authority.
3: Yeah.
0: hmm
3: Yeah. They're trying really hard to make this a bloodless revolution, which is commendable. But when you're fighting someone that's completely insane, <laughs> it's much more <laughs> difficult because at no point is Davros going to listen to
0: actual reason. You know, at that point point if you make a move against and it fails you're going to be killed yeah so you will get those few who go uh, i'm gonna hedge my bets here because if you think about it if davros won they had the hope that they might survive if the bloodless revolution somehow manages to win they might get forgiven mm-hmm. even the
3: thals once they thought they won they were like you know we're we're releasing all prisoners
0: everyone's pardoned everything's pardoned everything's fine I don't agree with it, but I can see why they might continue to take Davros's side at that point.
2: But the Doctor and team are able to sneak away. They're going to go escape, except the Doctor is going to go and destroy the Daleks.
0: That's the intent.
2: And then it doesn't happen. That else.
0: It kind of does. There's an explosion. I guess it just wasn't as effective as originally intended because the Dalek runs over the two lines and there's an explosion at that point. And I thought it's meant to imply that the incubation chamber was at least damaged to some extent i think if it's
3: damaged or completely destroyed at this point it doesn't really matter because i
0: think the pre-existing daleks that they haven't wiped out have the knowledge Mm -hmm. and even at the end the doctor says we've basically managed to delay them for a thousand years we haven't stopped them but we've delayed their development a little bit that's positive we got to talk about davros the end of davros
2: well first off the end of nider who gets his comeuppance
0: I think that's when Davros realizes things have gone too far when they kill his beloved Nida. (laughs) Basically, they activate the production line without his authority, and he gets mad at it. How
3: dare you do exactly what I programmed you to do?
0: (laughs) Yeah. The Daleks exterminating Nida and the remaining scientists, that's what finally tips Davros over the edge and goes, oh, this was a mistake. And he goes (laughs) for the big red total destruct button. But they exterminate him just before he can hit it. In the meantime... Everyone's managed to get out just in the nick of time. Betton blows the bunker and
1: everyone says their goodbyes. We're off into space for the next serial. Yeah, in the worst looking leaving ever. Like, what was that concept?
2: Thank you. (laughs)
1: What was that? When I imagine the time ring, I'm like, okay, we kind of all maybe touch it and then boop. But instead, like, why do we have to start jumping around, like, ring around a Rosie? Like, what is this? And then it turns into, like, we're going to just float in space. Like, wow, once again, another questionable direction decision.
0: I will give you that one, Riley. That yes. was you. a questionable directorial yes. decision. I'll give you a half point for that one. All right. Thank you. <laughs> one at the end of an otherwise very, very well-directed serial. I'll forgive it. All right, let's go ahead and rate this
1: thing. Riley, we'll start with you. For a six parter, this one is jam packed. It does not lag. Once again, Sarah Jane seems to spend less time with the Doctor than Harry does. I still believe the direction was a bit questionable at times, sometimes terrible but this is one of those series that is a must-watch because of how vital it is to the lore. I would have appreciated it more if it would have delved more into those moral issues that were brought up in the second half, maybe have more dialogue around that instead of immediately just cutting to a scene and leaving it to the side. The show now has really turned very dark and mature, and I like that. It's going to be interesting if they keep in this direction. So I will give this eight Davros manicures out of 10.
3: All right, Don, let's do you next be fair and say Deveros really could use a manicure. <laughs> I don't even want to think about the pedicure situation. Oh, God. But Riley's right about that. I was very impressed with this serial, especially considering the name of the writer attached to it. I've often <laughs> said that Terry Nation is my favorite hack because his stories are, shall we say, a little derivative of each other. Surely not. But they're always fun. In this case, I do think. Basically being told, no, this sounds like the past two scripts you've already sent us. Give us something original. I think he took that to heart. Direction-wise, I have to disagree with almost everything Riley said. I will (laughs) give him that last scene. That's super cheesy. The music's good. I found it very emotionally engaging, very thought-provoking. And wow, did this ever do what it set out to do, which was make the Daleks scary again and tell a good story? I'm giving it 10 hairy eating clams Ugh. out of 10. Whoa! Whoa. I cannot imagine a better Dalek story.
0: Wow. All right, Julie, bring it down.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. All right. There's the part of me that looks at this from a more, I don't know, scholarly perspective, I guess. I understand that this is a really well put together story. The plot actually makes sense. Davros isn't excellent addition to the new characters. There's a lot of good things that are going on. You've got good music, you've got some pretty good direction, maybe a few questionable choices here and there, but better than what I've seen in some previous serials. I really appreciate Tom Baker's doctor. But for some reason, personally, I struggled with this real hard. I rewatched things several times. I had to watch some of the episodes like three times before I could really actually be like, oh, okay, I remember what was happening in that episode. So I'm really all over the place with this one. I am also, again, really offended about how they're treating women or the lack of them. I'm not going to bring it down too much because I think there's too much that's good versus what's bad but I'm going to give it 7.5. Origins of the Nider Davros fan fiction out of 10.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know there's some slash fiction oh. out there.
2: Oh, 100%.
0: And then that brings it over to me. It's really hard to disagree with every point Don said in my head. This is brilliant. This is probably the best Dalek story we've had since.
2: Dalek, or da- the Daleks, the first one.
0: I was going to say The Power of the Daleks for me, which was fantastic in its own right. It's just strong. Terry Nation has clearly taken the criticism of stop producing derivative shit to heart, written something actually impressive. He's not relying on his tropes nearly as much, although we did get some radiation. Don't think you snuck that past us, Terry. (laughs) The direction was fantastic. Again, I'm with Don. Aside from that one thing at the end, I can't fault it. The guest cast, fantastic. Even down to Severin the Muto, he was great. Ronson, Garmin, obviously Davros and Nidor themselves. I mean, damn, this cast was on fire. It made the Daleks scary again it really did. And for me, this is as close as you're going to get to a perfect story. And I'm with Don. This is going to get 10 mutated clams out of 10 for me. Wow. Which makes this the first story that's had two 10 out of 10s. That gives us a story average of 8.88, highest of the season so far. That brings us to the end of the show. We will be back next time when we encounter everyone's favorite emotionless tin men as we gear up to get a bit emotional with some revenge in Revenge of the Cybermen. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening, and as always, have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippac, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Sausage Fest of the Daleks, was recorded on Wednesday, the twenty-eighth of September, two thousand and twenty-two. If this is your first time listening into the show, all of our previous episodes are available wherever you like to get your podcasts. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at watches 4 d and you can also email us at Watches4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and consider leaving us a review or rating on your favourite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, just because you invented something, it's not necessarily going to feel like it owes you any loyalty, Whatsoever. Cool, I'm tired,
2: whatever.